any day where we gather and we have the opportunity as a family to experience the presence of God and be in his presence, it's a good day. And that, that not only means in, in our gathering on Sunday, but any time as the body of Christ that we are together in the name of Jesus Christ, it is a good day. And the church, I just want you to know as a church family that God is moving all around us. God is doing some very special things in the hearts of, of people. And I could share a lot of stories of, of conversations I have had. But let me just tell you that God is moving and God is doing some unique, unique things, even outside of what we do here on Sundays, but very much within our groups and our, and our relationships that are being built. God is definitely moving. And so as a church family, my prayer is that God allows us to find great joy in what he is doing in the hearts of his people, to find great joy in that. There's something special, you know, beginning and continuing for that matter, that I pray is only the beginning of more to come and that we find rest in knowing that the proclamation of the gospel is our desire. John Stott once said that his authority on earth allows us to go to all the nations, talking about Christ. His authority in heaven gives us our only hope at success and his presence with us leaves us no other choice. May we rest in knowing that the power of God is our only hope to go to the nations. And his authority, the authority of his word, nothing I say or nothing I speak on, is do I have any authority but the authority that God brings, his authority in heaven gives us our hope at what we teach and what we proclaim to people actually working. And as we, we work in their life and as we share the message, it, it, God is, and through Christ is our only hope at the success of what we, what we teach. We can't change people. We as a church cannot change people's hearts. We can present the truth. We can present the agent of change. But our hope is that we will have success in what we do through the authority of Christ. And his presence in our hearts, his presence in our lives, gives us no choice but to respond to the love that we have received by going, by serving, and by carrying the message. As I shared earlier, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Philippians, and last week we talked about the importance of gospel partnerships and how it is absolutely crucial for us to find satisfaction in life by knowing that much is being made of Christ and the message of what he accomplished on our behalf is being spread all around us. In that, and in that fact alone, we find great joy. We talked about how Paul and his circumstances provide a perfect illustration of someone who has experienced this firsthand. And I shared last week a lot about what Paul had endured, but he had endured a tremendous amount of suffering on behalf of the gospel. He was homeless and bankrupt and beaten and sick and lonely, but in the midst of that, still working, in the midst of that, still proclaiming, in the midst of that, still very much joyful despite his adversity. I also shared with you last week about the background of the Macedonian city of Philippi and specifically the relationship that Paul had with the church that was found there at Philippi. In fact, it was the first place that he established a church on European soil, the first place that he proclaimed the message of Jesus Christ, the Messiah that had come, occurred there in Philippi. It was a Roman colony with a diversity of different people influencing it. With Roman citizenship, it meant there was a strong Roman influence, but through the surrounding countries and the fact that there was a main thoroughfare between Asia and Europe that, that crossed through the country there to, to Philippi, there was a, a, a melting pot of views on philosophy and on religion and on superstitions. And so what a great place for Paul to start to share the news of the Messiah. 
to share the news of a kingdom that had been established, to share the news of truth that he brought. Not something that had to be defended in the midst of such superstitions, but something that had to just be very much taught to bring everyone to a place of submission to the sovereignty of God. And he brought them to a place where they find absolute equality in their circumstances because of their sin condition and need for grace. So we talked about how Paul made his way to Macedonia, made his way to Philippi by way of a vision in which he felt a calling to go and to come and help someone from that region. And so while he's on this tour where he's going back to, to church plants that he had planted, and as he walks through these, these areas and as he goes and, and, and he is going to encourage them in the faith, to, to encourage them to continue to preach the gospel, and he feels this call, so he takes this detour. Paul had never been there, but he went and he planted a church. And last week we settled on this one point from the sermon. Is that, and the fact is that in life we find inner joy in Christ as the gospel is moving, and we are encouraged by this through our partnerships in that. And in theory, that is an absolute novel idea. That, that, in, in, theology, in, in, our, in our theory of that, it makes perfect sense. None of us would attest to the fact that our life is more important than the advancement of the gospel. I don't think anybody in this room would say that, anyone that professes Christ. And no one who professes to be a believer of Christ would ever deny the supremacy of, supremacy of the message of Jesus Christ over all things that we experience in this world. And at 30,000 feet, as we kind of fly over, that makes absolute sense. That's absolutely something that we embrace in our hearts. But at ground level, where life can get messy, where circumstances can be bad, and the roadmap of life that we have are following along takes a detour, it can get tough to recognize the, the application of that in our life. And so this morning, my desire is for us to continue our discussion from last week and talk about not the fact of should we find joy despite sufferings because of the advancement of the gospel, but talk a little bit this morning about how we find joy and use our sufferings and leverage them for the kingdom. We established why we should find joy, but this morning I want to talk about some very practical ways that our circumstances of life do not damage the inner peace and joy that we find in Jesus Christ. And so this morning as we walk into that discussion, I want us to join together in prayer. In fact, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Philippians, and we're going we're gonna to march around a couple other areas, but that will serve as the backdrop. But I want us to pray together and ask for God's clarity in, our, in teaching, and not just for his clarity in understanding what's going to be taught. Listen to this. Not just so that you might understand what is being taught, but that it might, as we talk about the, what Christ has accomplished, his authority in heaven, that it might actually, that we might have a hope that it might change your heart this morning. So let's pray as we begin. God, thank you for this time that we've had together and are continuing to have together. God, I thank you that our only hope in life is Jesus Christ. And God, you are not only our hope for salvation and the afterlife, but you are our only hope, God, to be able to walk this life and do life successfully the way you call us to as followers. God, I pray that as we take this passage of Scripture in Philippians, God, something that can seem very straightforward. God, I pray that it does not just become something that we receive in concept. God, my prayer, and I beg you, God, that, that this morning the word will not just be something we conceptually embrace, but God, it's something that will penetrate our hearts as your word promises, and it will cut, God, to the very core of who we are. 
And God, that we will open up our hearts to be changed, that we will open up our hearts to receive the message. God, not my message, not my words, but your words from your word to us, your creation. So God, we pray that this morning you do a work that only you can do. God, we completely uh, acknowledge our reliance on you and completely acknowledge that apart from your movement in our hearts, we will leave unchanged. But God, as you move through us, we might experience change in you. So God, we ask that you bless this time and you be our teacher and you be our guide. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. As we walk through life, I want to just talk very practically to you for a few minutes. As we, talk, as we walk through life, you and I do not live on a reward system. You know, where we accomplish one thing and we get this reward for it. You know, we, we live in a culture that that is, I've talked to you in the past few weeks about instant gratification. And we live in a culture where we do something and we expect something in return. And Christ tells us, in fact, in relation to the circumstances of life, you and I are actually only guaranteed one thing. As we walk through life, of course, we recognize that we are guaranteed Jesus Christ as we pursue him and as we accept him as Savior. But as far as the circumstances of life that play itself out on, on how that becomes very real, you know, when we accept Christ and he is a part of our life, the, actually the only one thing that we are guaranteed about how the circumstances of life will play out is in John 16, that tells us in this life you will have trouble. Not may not, not perhaps, not if you're one of the unlucky. In this life, you will have trouble. And so I think this morning we see from Paul that suffering is a part of life that all of us must learn to encounter. We, we live in a culture where I believe that our desire is to try to avoid suffering at all cost. And so what we try to find from God's word and what we try to find from self-help and what we try to find from the encouragement of others is ways to detour any suffering that we might encounter in life, to detour struggles. You know, how do I avoid these things? Rather than recognizing in John 16 that it says, guess what? You're gonna have trouble. And so I think a safer way for us to navigate the waters of life is for us to understand that suffering is a part of life and how we respond to those sufferings determines the way in which God moves through us. So it's a part of a life that we will encounter. You will suffer. Our suffering is directly tied back into the gospel in that God created things perfect. God created things with no suffering. God created things with no problems. Everything that he, he created was perfect, and he said it, it was good. He said what I made was good. And we know that our heavenly promise is a place with the same situation, that through the process of sanctification, we are moving towards. But unfortunately, sin entered the world, and with it, the pain and the suffering that has become a part of our depravity. The pain and suffering that has become a part of our personal conditions. God's word is sprinkled with those who would encounter great suffering. Moses delivers a people and he, gets, and he dies on the mountain overlooking the place he led them to. A guy who had to deal with great suffering in the fact that the people he were lead, leading were hard to deal with, hard to lead, and Paul leads them to a certain, uh, excuse me, Moses leads them to a certain point and Moses completes what he has been called to do and he is overlooking this area that he would lead them to, and he never experiences what had been promised. John the Baptist, 
I'm sure decapitation was not envisioned in his future for his faithfulness. Noah, you know, Noah, I'm a, you're about to look absolutely insane to your neighbors. You ready? You know, build this huge boat in an area where no rain has been. You know, Abraham, Isaac, we, we read on and on. Hebrews 11 lists a hall of fame of people that it says through their faith they accomplished great things, but to others it was bad news. Even Jesus suffered. He lamented over Jerusalem. He wept over the death of his close friend Lazarus. Isaiah 53 says that Jesus was a man of sorrows. He was despised. He was rejected. He was familiar with suffering. And this passage says that he was like one that people would hide their faces from at the sight of him. So Jesus experienced great suffering. So suffering has been determined. The question we must answer is, will you and I suffer in a way that has a purpose? Will you and I suffer in a way with a purpose that will we see it as part of God's sanctification process, God's sovereign plan and will for our life, that God will do something in us through our circumstances, that through these circumstances we will continually to point people to the kingdom of God? Will we leverage our circumstances and our suffering and our pain? Will we leverage it for the kingdom? Will it point people to God? Or will our opportunities and suffering be purposeless? Will our opportunities, and I call them opportunities in suffering, be purposeless, that nothing good will come from our suffering? And rather than pointing people to the kingdom, people around us will be blinded to it. And God teaches very specifically on this. And I'm afraid that as a church, I mean the church universal, we attempt to take on the topic of suffering by simply offering self-help tips on how to handle your sufferings. And what we find is that we end, what we end up doing is focusing on the therapy behind suffering. We try and find ways to encourage those who are in the middle of trouble. We, we want to offer teaching to help people cope with their circumstances or just endure them until something better comes along. And so we focus on a therapy through suffering. How do we, how do we walk each other through these sufferings? And what I'm afraid we fail to do as a church is to point people to the theology of suffering, a Christ-centered gospel spreading understanding of sufferings. And this is extremely important because without an understanding of the theology behind our suffering, without understanding why we endure such things, without understanding why we must suffer, without understanding that it is part of the process, then we cannot have a healthy therapy through suffering. I want to clarify just a couple of things in this. First of all, we as a body of Christ are called to encourage each other through our sufferings. By saying our focus has to be rooted in a theology of suffering as well as it, to, to enable us to have a, a healthy therapy through suffering is not to say that suffering does not exist the same, because it does. And we are called as the body of Christ to encourage each other through these sufferings. So please do not hear me to diminish the intensity of your struggle. Some of you in this room are probably encountering some very serious things in life, things that maybe no one knows. So don't hear me diminish the intensity of your struggles. They are real and pain is real and hurt is real. Second of all, don't hear me say that the theology of suffering is an attempt to unlock the reasoning behind the trials that we face. Why do bad things happen to good people? Let me begin by saying that the ways of God are higher the mystery of his sovereignty is beyond our ability to understand, and it would be impossible to stand here and clarify why you have to encounter the things you encounter. But we just rest, and I want this to serve as a backdrop. We just rest in knowing that God is sovereign. He does have a plan, and despite our fall and depravity, despite how we can, can mess things up, 
God is still sovereign. We have not acted outside of the sovereignty of his will, but his sovereignty is often behind our ability to understand. So the theology of suffering is understanding that there is a reason behind what we experience, even if we don't know it, maybe this side of heaven. And that our desire then through the theology of suffering is to see God glorified throughout his creation. And that overshadows our current condition. It doesn't, doesn't make it like we, we should feel bad that we feel pain and we feel real hurt and we feel suffering. We feel pressure and we feel anxiety and depression. And we, It's not saying we don't feel these things. It's just saying the sovereignty of God allows us to rest in something knowing that our current circumstances cannot overshadow the plan of God. My kids are a perfect example of this. They ask why to everything. You know, you, and many parents recognize this, you know. You, you ask you to go do this, and they say, why? Most of the time, it's not because parents are just being mean. There's a reason behind what is going on. You know, I tell my kids, you know, don't go out on the road. Why? Well, I could sit there, and I could explain to them that because if you go out on the road, bad things can happen because cars don't always see little kids. But the best answer sometimes is because I said so and I know what's best for you. So just rest in that, okay? And so you look at God's word to us and oftentimes we're going to encounter things and our first reaction is to say, why? Why do I have to do this? Why would you do this? And while God sometimes explains and we see the reasoning behind it, oftentimes he says, because I am God and I said so. And we have to find rest in that. So we embrace the truth that no suffering is outside of the context of his sovereignty. His will is going to prevail. Despite our sinfulness, it is more powerful. It is not more powerful than God. So then the question that we, we see is our, so the question then is, do we see our sufferings as distractions to God's work in our life? Are we using them to distract God working through us? Or do we see it as part of the process of sanctification? Do you see that it is the potter forming you, the clay, stretching, pushing, pulling to use the circumstances to form you into what he is faithfully completing in you? We talked last week that God says that, that unto him, we, we, we talked about how he is faithful to complete. The one that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So the beginning point of the work is established. The ending point is established. It is a good plan given by a good God to his people despite our lack of goodness in our life. And he says, you know what? I started something in you and no matter what it looks like through the process, I'm gonna be faithful and I'm gonna complete it in you. You can rest assured in that. So the question is, do you see this refining process which often means trial by fire and it often brings things to the surface in your life that maybe needed to be refined out? Do you see this as God faithfully completing a process in you? Or do you see it as a God who has abandoned you in the midst of the process? Because I can tell you that the God that I serve and the God that I preach and the God that I worship is a God who will be faithful to complete his plan. We also, have, and oftentimes in our struggles, we see suffering as a free pass to sin. It's owed me. I'm suffering, therefore I have an excuse. I can act the way I want to because this isn't fair. I can act the way I want to because, God, you have allowed something to happen to me. You know, some things very, you know, very real in this room. I know a lot of you may have experienced things, like I said, that I don't even know. And so in the midst of that, you say, I'm suffering 
Therefore, I have an excuse. And through this, bitterness and anger and mourning in a very unhealthy way can set, can set in in our lives. We find ourselves, rather than falling at the feet of Jesus, we find ourselves shaking our fist in his face saying, what did you do? Why did you allow this to happen? Where is this faithful God that I worship? And we find ourselves falling away from the only one who holds the answers to life's questions. And so this is why our study on joy finds no better teaching than in the God-inspired writings of Paul. So as we look at Philippians, I want to begin, I want, I want to read some things. If you'll turn to 2 Corinthians. And let me read a couple of things. And let's talk, I want you to kind of see, as, as I set it up a little bit last week about what Paul had experienced, I want to read just a couple other things for you this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Let's, let's just identify with the sufferings of Paul. Verse 8, for we do, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Life was tough because of the, the strengths, just to where they almost despaired of life itself. Verse 9, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely, listen to Paul, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He's saying, look, we look like we had a death sentence. But all we, we, that we learned through the process is that it made us rely on God who, who raises the dead. Verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Second Corinthians chapter four, look at verse five. Verse six, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 3. We put no obstacles in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. Verse 7, by truthful speech and the power of God. With the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet we are true as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, listen, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. And hear the words of Paul. 
he says, look, through all of this, he, and Paul always had a way to combat the negativity. He said, man, you know, it's like, it's like we're, you know, they're trying to kill us, but they can't do it. We're experiencing all these bad things. And for everything that he lists that was a struggle through despair, through beatings, through hunger, Paul says it's through love and through peace. And he goes on and on and on and says, says the characteristics that he uses to offset what was taking place in his circumstances. And so in the book of Philippians, where we will read this morning, we hear the same theme resonate through what Paul has encountered. Because Paul is very much suffering as we talked about last week. And we talked about how he is in prison. He is far away from the people that he loves. He has been distanced. He has been separated. But yet he finds great joy in his suffering. And so this morning in Philippians chapter 1 verse 12, I want us to read together. And I want us to see three ways to suffer well. Three keys to suffering well this morning. And I want us to see that certain things we've already established, suffering will come, be prepared. It's not permanent, it's temporary because a faithful God will see us to completion. So with that as our context, let's talk about in the midst of these struggles, how do we find joy and how do we suffer well? Verse 12, Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. So right off the bat, we see that the first thing that I think we learn through this this scripture from Paul is that negative circumstances are opportunities. Negative circumstances in life are opportunities. Paul says, look, What's happened to me? You know, you, I recognize I'm in jail and I recognize that I have been beaten and I'm, I'm hungry and I'm away from you. But what's really happened is it has helped to advance the gospel. And he says not only the advancement of the gospel throughout the region, but it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Right off the bat, we see negative circumstances or opportunities. Paul communicates to the church at Philippi that what has happened to him though it appears bad, is actually working in their favor because the gospel is advancing. We talked about this last week. The guards of the prison, the other prisoners, are hearing that he is in prison for the sake of Christ. The church at Philippi most likely was experiencing mixed emotion because of Paul's imprisonment. I mean, think about this. Paul, they love. Paul came and he first breathed the gospel of Jesus Christ to these people. He preached the fulfillment and peace in life that comes through Jesus Christ. He rooted that in them. He taught them that message. They received it. They embraced it. They welcomed it. And now Paul, the guy who taught them that, is in jail. And he's been beaten. So some are probably very angry. You know, God, Paul, has served you faithfully. He has preached your gospel. We are believers today because of what Paul did. So how can you let this happen to him? How, how do you let this happen to a man who has given his life to follow you? And Paul says, listen, guys, you know, don't worry about me because what has happened to me, the whole prison, the whole imperial guard has learned about Jesus Christ. And were I not in prison, had I not experienced these things, they wouldn't have known. So this has actually worked to our favor. He's telling them, this is a good thing. You know, what you see is bad. It's a good thing because now... Everybody, everybody is hearing that his imprisonment is for Christ. And Paul says, he's, you, know, you see Paul leveraging his situation for the kingdom. Some are probably very fearful. Okay, wait a minute. Now, 
Paul, what we signed up for, you know, was a liberating freedom in Christ. And, and, and now, wait, you're in jail. Something's not adding up here, you know. And Paul, you know, if this is happening to Paul, what does that mean for us who preach the same message? So they maybe feared imprisonment themselves. You know, you know we're, we preach this thing boldly, but now this is going down. This is tough. And Paul says, hey, this is being used for that gospel I was telling you about. And through this, we learn that how we handle ourselves in the middle of life's crises can cause us to distract those around us from seeing the glory of God, or it can be used as an opportunity to point them to the cross. Paul could have gotten down in the bottom of that. You know, it, we read uh, the other day that when, when, the, when the earthquake happened, when Paul was in prison at one time, they had to flip the lights on. We recognized he was in a very drab place and Paul could have been locked away and the gospel would have continued to spread because God is sovereign and his message will go to all nations and we recognize that. And, but Paul could have said, all right, I'm done. I'm out. You know, I'm in prison. I can't do anything. I'm, I'm chained up to this guy. And Paul, instead of seeing his circumstances as distracting, instead of, instead of uh, being chained to an unbeliever and saying, you know what, this God stuff, I shouldn't be here. No, the, man, the whole, whole imperial guard, Paul is preaching in prison. He's continuing to preach a message. And he saw this as an opportunity to say, you know what, it looks like on the surface bad things are happening to me, but it is being used for the advancement of the gospel so that all the people in the prison... Those that were in prison understood that Paul was in jail for preaching Christ. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to, to teach others also. Verse 3, share in suffering, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering. Bound with chains as a criminal. But listen to this. But the word of God is not bound. He says, I am bound in these chains like a prisoner, but the word of God is not bound. It's continuing. And Paul says, we share in these sufferings for that sake. But God, life is bad right now. My life is just, it's, it's tough. And God remind us that though you feel trapped, the word of God is very much alive. It is very much moving. So think about your life. Some of you ex have experienced financial problems. Some of you may be experiencing marital problems. Some of you may be having trouble with your children. Some of you may have internal addictions and problems. Some of you have no idea what the next day holds for you. But my question to you this morning is this. Is your response to your circumstances bringing glory to God or are you seeking to bring glory to yourself? Because you see, to only look at our circumstances on how they affect us, to only say, well, this is bad for me, is to seek glory for ourselves. And you say, well, that's absurd. No. Our circumstances are going to be leveraged in one of two ways. Either we're going we're to point Christ, point people to Christ, or we're gonna be, people are going to be pointed to us. 
on how things affect us, but to see our circumstances as, as an opportunity to point people to the gospel is our desire to bring glory to him. So how well are you suffering? How well are you experiencing the things of life? There's a second thing we find in verse 14, and that is that personal crisis creates personal encouragement. Personal crisis creates personal encouragement. Look at verse 14. Most of the brothers, speaking to those who were preaching the same message, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Listen what Paul does here. He says, I am in prison and it's bad, but I'm still preaching Christ. And he says, what's happened is instead of fear going through the ranks of those who are outside preaching the gospel, he says they are preaching it more boldly now because of what I've done. Paul says, I'm experiencing a personal crisis, but what has happened is he is personally encouraging those who are still outward carrying the message. They're much more bold to speak the word without fear. So there was probably fear. And Paul says, look, I've told them everything's cool. God's still moving. The gospel is not bound. I'm in prison, but the gospel is moving. And they're saying, hey, Paul's fine. Paul's experienced the worst of circumstances. No one can, 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 can say that they've suffered like Paul among the church there. And so because of that, they say Paul still finds joy in this gospel Paul is beaten and poor and in prison, but he still finds joy. Let's go preach the message. Because if Paul can encounter this, and this is still gospel, is still very real, and is still very much bringing joy, then we can boldly go and proclaim without fear. It's important to note here that this is not the circumstances of Paul that are encouraging the brothers. They're not saying, I am encouraged because I would love to be in that prison. It's the way in which Paul conducts himself in the crisis that brings the encouragement. If Paul had said, God, this isn't fair, how dare you? Then it would have pushed them away from, from furthering the advancement of the, the message of God rather than drawing them to them. They would have been discouraged. If Paul had said, guys, this is not at all the way it should have gone. This is not at all the way I expected these things. It, they would have retreated from the proclamation of the message. But because Paul pointed them to the gospel, pointed them to God, then they were boldly preaching his message. So how we conduct ourselves in our crisis will determine whether or not the situation is leveraged for the kingdom. In your life, there's very real things, and you say, I don't know the answer, and that's right. In your personal problems and struggles, I'm not saying that you will have an answer through embracing the power of the joy found in the gospel. I'm saying that until God works the plan to completion in your life, you can say, you know what, it's bad, bad things are happening, but you use that to point people to Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. Will your sufferings purify your motivation? In the refining process, when we go through the fire, are we seeing, as in the book of James, that our suffering is used to produce the completion that God is doing in us? Our, is our motivation pure? You know, do we serve God because of the prosperity and the circumstances we've experienced? Or do we serve God because his renown is our desire? Do you serve God as long as he faithfully returns in a reward system something to you for your obedience to him? 
And I think that this is very important. You think about the life of Job. Job even had his wife saying, you know, come on, Job, seriously, just, just curse God and die. This is terrible. This is, this is painful for us all. And Job stays so true in the middle of it. Job had no idea that his circumstances would ever change. And as we see at the end of the book, it changed greatly for him. He received, multiplied what he had. But that is not why Job was faithful. He was faithful because he served a faithful God. His motivation was very pure. He had no idea by having joy in the midst of his trials after losing his family and after losing his, his, his animals and after losing his entire kingdom, he had no promise that being faithful to God would return anything else to him. And his motivation was refined and it came back pure because Job knew nothing that would happen in his life. But... God did choose to bless him. But now when we look at the life of Job, we recognize someone who was faithful to God in a very pure way. So I I ask, you know, is our personal pursuit of Christ directly linked to our circumstances? Are we committed to him no matter what? So I can tell you his scripture says, it's a call to die. It's a call to die to self. If any man should come after me, he should deny himself and he should take up his cross and he should follow after me. No man who would seek to gain, to, to gain his life, you know, you'll lose it. He says, he says, your life cannot be gained. But then there's a third thing, and one that goes as a common theme through much of our teaching, and that is that sufferings reorient our priorities to the gospel. Sufferings reorient our priorities to the gospel. Verse 15 Paul says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and they preach him from rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Through this text, we see that there were some in Paul's days who were preaching Christ out of envy, They were preaching him out of rivalry. They celebrated when Paul went to jail. They celebrated when he was beaten. They celebrated when he was experiencing turmoil. You know, maybe he drew a bigger crowd. Maybe his books sold more. You know, maybe he was more dynamic in his faith. And so there were some who saw this as an opportunity to better themselves. Paul's out of the picture. Now I can elevate and, and, and bring myself along. And Paul, you know, Paul is locked away. Let me preach the word. He said their desire was not to proclaim Christ, but to afflict me while I was in prison. You and I must be careful that we do not find ourselves celebrating the struggles of others. As a body of Christ, we must recognize and we must not find ourselves celebrating the struggles of others. When our lives are wrapped around the gospel of Jesus, we love the way Christ loved. We encourage the way Christ encouraged. And we do this not so that we might be seen as holy, but that we might be seen as broken. Broken people filled by a holy God. 
Paul went on to say that many people preached it out of love. But he finishes the text by telling the people at the church of Philippi. He finishes up by telling them that either way, either way, whether they preach Christ from good intentions or whether they preach Christ to oppress me, to undermine me, to take advantage of me while I'm in prison, Paul says either way, whether good intentions or bad, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. I rejoice in knowing that Christ is being preached. Kind of like, kind of like the joke's on you, you know. You're trying to put me down. He said, good, pr- keep on preaching it. It doesn't matter the motivation as long as Christ is being preached. Paul, are you sure about that? Even though there are those around you who are jealous and prideful and selfish and are motivated by self-glorification, you're still good with that? Paul says Christ is being preached. And Paul says, I rejoice as long as the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus is spreading. And today we hear the same words. Paul tells us, I know that through God's sovereignty, all of this is going to work out. And he finishes this beautiful passage by saying that his prayer above all things is that he would not be ashamed by his response to his sufferings. You see that? Look at verse 20. It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Paul says, I'm experiencing great uh, oppression. I'm experiencing a lot of bad things in my life, but my biggest concern is not what they're going to do to me. For it costs to live, live as Christ and die as gain to me. But Paul says, my only fear is that in all my struggles that I will not be ashamed by my conduct. I will not be ashamed, but with full courage. I will have absolute certainty now as always that with my body and my reactions to my sufferings, Christ will be honored. And this is a great word to us today. I pray that we leave here today with a humble desire to lay aside our own desires. And again, hear me say that struggles are real. They're real in your life. This is not to say, nowhere in the text does Paul say, I find great happiness in this. I love getting beat. It fuels me. No, Paul says, I find great joy in this. And no matter how bad things get, my concern is that Christ will not be distracted. But with full confidence, I will honor him. And guys, we all experience, if you're not in the middle of a struggle or trial right now, you will be. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. You know, be ready, you know, to to, to allow your, your sufferings to point people to the gospel. Be ready to encourage people in the midst of your struggle and theirs. See this as opportunity. See this not as a God who has abandoned you, but see this as a God who is refining you. Check your motivation. Am I, am I humbly seeking after God? Do I desire him with my life? And if so, if your motives are pure, and if you're seeking God, and if your desire is to preach the gospel and, of Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that is your sole motivation in life, then see sufferings as a very faithful God, the potter forming you. And find hope and joy in that. So as we learn from Paul, may we be encouraged this morning to check ourselves, myself included, that we all check ourselves. 
and determine with our life who will much be made of ourselves, Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for I thank you for messages that God that they're oftentimes outside outside of common human nature. God, the sin nature inside of us, if everyone was honest in this room, the sin nature inside of all of us would long nothing more than to demand a response from you to the season of life we're in. But God, the the spirit nature inside of us as followers of you, God, May it overpower our reactions, God, and may we find peace and joy in our suffering. If for no other reason, then we will not be a stumbling block for others. If for no other reason, so that we will not distract others from seeing your beauty. We will not pull others down into our sufferings, God but we will use our sufferings to push them forward, to run the race, to compete like an athlete, to farm like a farmer who is diligent, like a soldier to faithfully carry out the orders, God. God, as a church, I pray specifically, God, even though in a generic statement, I pray very specifically for those in our body who are struggling and suffering. I pray very specifically, God, for them and their situations. God, there are financial struggles. There are relational struggles. God, there are struggles with inner, just inner struggles, God, of depression and anxiety. God, there are struggles with addiction. God, there are struggles with people that question salvation. God, that, that question their motivation. That God, that struggle with finding what you're doing in their life. God, there are struggles in this room. And God, as a sinful, flawed person, God, I don't have answers other than to point people to Christ. And God, as a body, may we draw nearer to each other through these struggles, and may we draw near to you through these struggles. That's our only hope. God, please don't let us turn to other people in spite of you, despite you. God, please don't let us turn to to our addictions as a way to feel the lack of joy in our hearts, but let us turn to you. God, as a body, please don't let us have to, to find encouragement outside of this body, but God, may we encourage each other. And God, through it all, may we not do it just for therapy, but God, may we boldly encourage each other because of the theology behind our suffering. And God, we proclaim these things only because we know we serve a God who is faithful, who will be faithful, who will complete what you began in our hearts, God. You're faithful. God, we may never know the answers to life circumstances, but you're faithful. We may never know why we encounter certain things until one day when it doesn't even matter when we're standing in your presence. But God, sanctify us, make us moldable. God, make us teachable. 
Make us refinable. God, and may our motivation behind it all be because we want to be more like you. Our desire is to get back to the people we were before sin entered our lives. And that pushes us to deeper righteousness. But God, I do pray for each situation and that your sovereign plan and will will work in their life, God. And that as your scriptures promises us, God, that we cry out to you that even when peace does not make sense, you will grant a peace that surpasses all understanding. And we rest in that, God. We rest in you, our comforter, in the midst of our circumstances. So God, I ask this this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen.